Support for this broadcast of Two Rivers 30 Minutes comes in part from a grant from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. From TubeCityOnline.com, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a weekly series of interviews with people making news around the McKeesport area. Produced by Tube City Community Media Incorporated, a nonprofit corporation. I'm Jason Toger, the executive director. On this show, we talk one-on-one with elected officials, community leaders, and others who are trying to make a difference in the Monyoc area. And we also take your questions and comments on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. Our guest today is heard by hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, and yet you, who are listening to the sound of my voice on our radio stations, probably have never heard him before. You probably have never heard any of his newscasts before because he works for the Voice of America. Our guest is Steve Herman. Uh, He's uh, been with Voice of America. Well, uh, he's going to tell us for a long time, but for 2017 to 2021, he was senior White House correspondent and White House bureau chief. He is now chief national correspondent. What is the Voice of America and why was he recently doing work with the University of Pittsburgh School of Law? We're going to ask him about that. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Jay. Uh, first things first, you, how long have you been with Voice of America now? I went on staff in 2007, but I was a contract reporter in Japan for VOA for some years before that. And you, uh, and I want to ask you about this, you were one of the few reporters who was inside the Fukushima uh, hot zone uh, after the tsunami and uh, earthquake that damaged that nuclear power plant, correct? That is correct. While most people, I guess, were racing to get out of the area, I was uh, doing my best to get in there as as fast as I could. That's what reporters tend to do. So where are you joining us from right now? Are you at VOA Studios or at home? I am at my home studio on the Whitewater Peninsula in Stafford County, Virginia. I'm about a 45-minute drive on a very good traffic day on I-95 from Washington, D.C. And then I've got a a train I can take to get into uh, uh, Washington as well nearby, if, if depending on the hour. So, so people have probably heard uh, of the Voice of America, but United States citizens who have spent most of their life within the United States probably have not heard the Voice of America. Why is that? Tell us what it is. Because we do not uh, target J, um, U.S. citizens or uh, Americans uh, anywhere, but we uh, target our broadcasts in 48 different languages, including English and learning English, to people around the world, especially in countries where there is a repressive media environment or they, they just don't have the tools because they're developing countries to, to have a very a robust uh, media environment. So, so unlike some international broadcasting services and news services, which are run by uh, sovereign states and, and governments, the VOA is, is not supposed to be a propaganda service. That is correct. Uh, there is a misperception by some people about that, that, well, if it's part of the U.S. government and funded by the government and the people that work for it are government employees, that it must be propaganda. And that is the case for other state broadcasters in certain countries, uh, especially in, say, Russia or China or uh, Iran. But uh, we have a firewall between us and even our bosses uh, that prevents them from telling us what to report or what not to report. So the president, or regardless of the administration, or even the people he appoints to run our parent organization, cannot tamper with our editorial product. So I'm 
as free as a journalist and under the same sort of rules as when I worked for the Associated Press. It's really not that different when when it gets down to my level. Steve Herman is our guest this morning. He was journalist in residence at the University of Pittsburgh Law School. We're going to ask him what that entailed in just a couple of minutes. He's chief national correspondent for The Voice of America. You can find him on social media at W7VOA, which is his ham radio call sign. He's also the author of the book Bhutan in Color, a Himalayan kingdom through the lens of American journalists. Is that your most uh, recent book, Steve? Yes, technically, but uh, next year, 2004, Kent State University Press is publishing uh, my latest book, which is called Behind the White House Curtain. Okay. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Maybe uh, if, if you are doing a book tour maybe later next year, uh, we'll have you back on to talk about your upcoming book, uh, Steve Herman. How you did... can pre-order it now. <laughs> there's, there's my plug. I was in Cincinnati, Ohio recently toward the National Voice of America Museum, which is at the former shortwave uh, relay, relay station there. And there's a big sign in the lobby that says, tell the truth and let the world decide? Is that still sort of the credo of the VOA? Yes, absolutely. You know, VOA, when it went on the air, and that's a great uh, place to uh, visit, by the way, is fantastic uh, collection of memorabilia and explanations uh, started by Crosley Broadcasting on behalf of the government to get uh, a VOA up and running. Uh, and it was so effective, Hitler referred to it as the Cincinnati Liars. The Liars from Cincinnati, yes. yes. Good name for maybe a, a soccer expansion team or something. <laughs> I can say that I'm a native of yeah. Cincinnati. Oh, there we the go. Way. Okay, okay. But um, uh, yes, the the Voice of America went on the air uh, right at the start of World War II with a you know a very novel concept. Instead of engaging in propaganda like the Nazis were broadcasting uh, to Europe and to the United States, you could you know pick up pick it up on a radio in a, in a lot of homes, especially in the eastern part of the U.S. Um, that the VOA would go on the air and would give it to the listeners straight. Uh, and and that would include uh, news that wasn't always favorable to the United States. And that has been a time-proven formula to build trust with your audience. And we know from talking to, say, defectors from North Korea, they said, well, when we first listened to you, you know, we were, we were quite skeptical because we just expected it to be a bunch of American propaganda. But then I heard you say things that didn't reflect your country in the best light. And then you also reported on things in my own country that I knew to be true that our own state media, which is the only media in North Korea, mm-hmm. uh, would, would never report. Um, so that, this is a really effective technique. Uh, it sounds very simple. Just tell the truth. I, I think that has frustrated some political leaders in the United States, both on the uh, Democratic and Republican, uh, who, who have wondered, for instance, uh, Willis Conover uh, conducted a very, very popular uh, show for decades over the VOA, which I think was jazz-focused, if I'm remembering correctly. And, well, what does, what does popular music have to do with telling the story of the United States, except he literally got hundreds of thousands of letters uh, every year from all over the world. Uh, I've talked to historians who believe arguably that uh, that jazz program on VOA did as much as anything else to help bring down the Berlin Wall. So uh, you, you have to think about it. We, we take it for granted, but jazz uh, is, it was an, is an expressive form of, of music uh, with improvisation, and that is something that authoritarian regimes did not like. And it's the same thing. You go to North Korea, you're probably not going to hear, you know, very much jazz music. It's, it's just uh, – Not much Ornette Coleman or, or Coleman Hawkins or yeah, uh, even uh, Benny Benek. Decadent Western music, Jay. 
<laughs> Steve Herman is our guest uh, this morning. He's chief national correspondent for Voice of America. He has a new book coming out next year behind the White House curtain. Well, let me back up. When did you become interested in radio and in journalism? I always had an interest in in broadcasting and media and journalism. Uh, growing up in Cincinnati, I thought, of course, I was going to become a, an announcer for the Reds eventually. That was sort of my goal to replace the age of 12 Marty Brenneman or whoever. Yeah, I, I, I would have been great in that <laughs> position. Uh, and, and then what happened is as a teenager, I got um, into local radio. Actually, I, my family had moved to Las Vegas uh, by that time. I say I spent my deformative years in Las Vegas. And I got to also do the news once in a while. And the cool thing about the news is as compared to spinning records on, uh, you know, we had cart machines and turntables back then. You had to kind of play the same thing over and over again. And maybe after two weeks, you know, one new song would be added. But news changed every day. In fact, hour to hour, there could be significant changes in, in the news. And I just found that more exciting and challenging. And then especially uh, to go out on the scene of crimes. You know, I was working the evening shift in, in Las Vegas back then. There used to be a body in the desert every day. Um, so, you know, the mob was was still an influence in the town. And um, uh, growing up in a place like that, the, the, the news was much more exciting than being a DJ. And I wasn't on a rock and roll station. I was the format was called Middle of the Road, yeah, sure. which was going to a demographic much older than I was as a teenager. And so. Uh, you know, if I had gotten on a rock station, I might still be a rock DJ. But, you know, things went in a different direction and it, it sort of worked out. Well, I think being a disc jockey is the next best thing to growing up, uh, especially at a rock station. Uh, and and did, you, you mentioned, did you go to college for broadcasting, for, for journalism? I mean, that's what you always wanted to do? I was going to high school college and working at three radio stations at the same time. So I did take some communications classes, but I think I was learning a lot more on the job than I was in school. However, stay in school, get the degree. That's really important. It doesn't have to be in journalism or broadcasting or communications to be in our field. In fact, when I hire people, I'm kind of looking at, you know, I, I can tell right away or teach them some of the things about communications, journalism and broadcasting, but I want to know what they know about the real world. World. Let's pause right there. When we come back, let's talk about the real world, including some of your real world experience, like going into a hot zone after a nuclear power plant accident. Steve Herman is our guest. He's chief national correspondent for Voice of America, was recently the journalist in residence at the University of Pittsburgh Law School. You can find him on social media at W7VOA. He also has a book coming out next year called Behind the White House Curtain. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Support for this broadcast comes from Strifler's Family Funeral Homes. Since 1866, Strifler's has provided compassionate professional memorial services for families in White Oak, McKeesport, Dravosburg, Portview, and the surrounding areas. Strifler's offers comprehensive pre-planning services and aftercare. And through its affiliated company, Design Monuments, Strifler's also provides permanent markers and memorials crafted in stone, bronze, and other high-quality materials. Learn more at strifler's.com or call 4 612-678-6191. Steve Harmon is our guest. He's chief national correspondent for uh, the Voice of America, which is the international broadcasting and news service of the United States of America. We talked about starting out in local news there in, in Las Vegas. When did you make the jump 
to the national scene. Very recently, as a matter of fact, okay. Jay, I was a foreign correspondent overseas uh, for many years. I lived in Asia for 26 years. And did you say you total. worked for the Associated Press? I, w- I worked for the Associated Press in West Virginia okay. and then in the Broadcast News Center in Washington, D.C. before I went overseas a second time. It's a long story, too long for, for this this program. Okay. Um, but after I had joined VOA and I, I was uh, first uh, as a staffer, the Southeast A- South Asia Bureau Chief, then Northeast Asia Bureau Chief, then, then Southeast Asia Bureau Chief, I came back uh, in 2016. And uh, for about eight months, I was senior diplomatic correspondent traveling with Secretary of State John Kerry at the end of the Obama administration. And then during... Uh, well, at the start of the Trump administration, I went over, I was named a senior White House correspondent, eventually became White House bureau chief, did that entire administration and the first eight months of the Obama administration. Then I went into our standards and practices unit for a while. And um, after a, a detail uh, for nearly a year doing that, I emerged back out in the field as the chief national correspondent. So I cover uh, a lot of politics. I've been doing election 2024 stories sure. since 2022. It started real early, as you know. And um, I also try to focus on doing stories on uh, climate change as well and some very interesting uh, features uh, from time to time. Uh, when you were covering Secretary of State Kerry or President Trump or, or whomever and you're competing against the reporters from AP, the Washington Post, CNN, CBS, the, the fact that you're working for Voice of America makes no difference. That makes no difference. We're treated uh, the same as any of the other uh, reporters. Good, good or bad. Get, good or bad. We yeah. don't get preferential treatment from the government because VOA is part of the government. They realize that we are a bona fide news organization. I think one difference is many news organizations, if you're the you know, White House correspondent for uh, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette or uh, AP, you may be primarily focused on domestic issues. And sure. and these large organizations have numerous White House reporters mm-hmm. actually covering different aspects of it. But for us, we're looking more at the geopolitical for our international audiences. Another aspect of it is we're not looking to be first, right? It's uh, We're not in competition with Bloomberg and uh, Reuters, AFP and AP, where they, they have a sort of financial imperative to try to beat each other even by a, a few seconds because it can affect uh, stock trading and things like that. We're looking to get it right, and we're also looking to uh, put it into some sort of uh, uh, context that people uh, in Zimbabwe or Burma can understand. Because for a lot of uh, domestic news reporting, uh, especially for the stuff that goes on in Washington inside the Beltway, we say – it's almost like a soap opera. If you haven't followed episodes one through 37, then today's episode 38 may be a little difficult to, to, to keep up with, where what I need to do is every single time I go out and do a, put a story on the air or write it for our website so it can be translated into all these different languages, it, it has to be understood by even the most casual listener or reader. There was at one time, and I think this still exists, what uh, Voice of America called a basic English service, which literally is for people who are learning English as a second language. Does that still exist? Yes, it's a great resource. It was called Special English. It was started in 1959 and is now called Learning English. And I love voicing uh, scripts from them uh, from time to time. They'll ask me to do one of my stories in in a Learning English version because it has a very limited vocabulary and you also speak at a pace non-native <laughs> listeners 
can understand. So it, it, I've had so many people tell me they learned English by listening to VOA's Learning English. That is amazing. Steve Herman is our guest. He's chief national correspondent for The Voice of America. Before we get to your residency at the University of Pittsburgh, talk about some of these big stories you've covered, including uh, the – I always mispronounce this uh, – Fukushima or Fukushima uh, nuclear plant disaster back in 2011. Right. You know, that was a, a unique and, and really horrible uh, disaster because it was three in one. We had this. Uh, unbelievably strong earthquake that then triggered a massive tsunami that washed towns out to sea and also overwhelmed a nuclear power plant on the coast of Japan, uh, the Fukushima nuclear power plant, at which uh, caused uh, severe damage there and uh, was a source of global concern because of the potential for multiple reactors to melt down. So uh, I was on the scene uh, for that. It was something really um, very dramatic because we were having very powerful uh, earthquake aftershocks, which were, was triggering more tsunami warnings, and we didn't know exactly what was happening with the nuclear power plant. So it was covering three disasters in one. How, how long were you there for? I went in and out. I okay. I think for the first time I was there for more than a week, and I went back uh, uh, a month later, and I and I, I went back a couple times after that as well. I, I was along with a Los Angeles Times reporter who I teamed up with. Uh, we were the first. Uh, to actually reach the gates of the um, of the nuclear power plant, and we were met by somebody outside, uh, you know, in the full uh, regalia with the respirator and protective gear, who sort of gave us the international "do not enter" sign with his hands and uh, tried to get us and told us basically to get out of there. But we w- wanted to try to get a look, and we had. You know, we weren't being reckless. We were monitoring our radiation dosage. I had reported about uh, nuclear tests in Nevada as as a young reporter, and uh, I had studied a little bit about uh, nuclear radiation. So I, I knew I was taking some risk. I consulted with a friend of mine, a ham radio operator friend, actually, who was a general uh, physician in California and told him what the situation was with the readings and where the winds were blowing and getting hit with a plume. And he said, ah, don't worry about it. Uh, By the time you get thyroid cancer decades later, you'll be dead of something else by then. So, you know, that's that's sort of the attitude. (laughs) Yeah, cheerful. We we have another break coming up. The time goes quickly. Before we take that break, let me ask you, you mentioned that VOA reporters, when they're traveling with government officials, Secretary of State, the President, whomever, they get no special treatment and no special favors. Does that work against you when you're dealing with with a foreign government, such as view you as you're you're an enemy of the state? Well, I can uh, tell you a story from when I was inside North Korea. I spent uh, 10 days there on assignment in 2013, I believe it was. And uh, the people in the North Korean military that I dealt with assumed because I spoke a few words of um, Korean like Makali and Kimchi and Kamsahamnida just assumed I was, uh, you know, fluent in, in Korean and therefore, you know, was with the CIA. Uh, and uh, they told me they they knew that, you know, the CIA controlled VOA, which is false, by the way, for anybody who might assume that. But then they also told me they knew that uh, the CIA told CNN what to report. Oh. So, you know, it wasn't, wasn't really going to be able to overcome that. But, uh, you know, I also found out that a substantial percentage of North Koreans listened to the Voice of America and Radio Free Asia. 
And uh, I know that, as I, I said about the, the defectors, uh, that they do give us some sort of credibility, even if they weren't going to admit that to our faces. Which to me would be a big responsibility to carry, to know that people are – the credibility is important to them. Absolutely. We take this very seriously and uh, that's that's why there's, you know, I think a, a very strong uh, uh, mission belief that we will tell it straight. We will not let even our own government interfere, you know, in our reporting. Let's pause right there. When we come back, I want to talk about your Pittsburgh residency, what you learned uh, from being in resident at the uh, University of Pittsburgh Law School and maybe hopefully what they learned from you. From the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, and we'll be back in 30 seconds to wrap things up. Support for this broadcast comes from the City of McKeesport Fair Housing Office. Fair housing is your right, and the Fair Housing Act prohibits discrimination in housing because of race, color, national origin, religion, sex, gender identity, sexual orientation, family status, or disability. That includes renting or buying a home, getting a mortgage, seeking housing assistance, or engaging in other housing-related activities. For more information about Fair Housing Act protection, in the city of McKeesport, call 412-675-5020, extension 635. Back for a final few minutes with Steve Herman. He's chief national correspondent for Voice of America. How, how did you come to be connected with uh, with Pitt and with the University of Pittsburgh? Yeah, I was uh, approached uh, by the people that were um, uh, running that um, and really did not know much about it at the time. And when I looked into it, I was really amazed by what they are doing there, you essentially have a group of law students who are on campus at Pitt Law, uh, as well as uh, other law students from around the world running a legal news service. They're writing the stories and editing it. Uh, they're all volunteers. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, having having the, the bandwidth and the brain capacity just to get through law school, let alone being, a, you know, a reporter as as a job, uh, even though it's a volunteer job. And they do amazing work. Uh, I, I Jurist, J-U-R-I-S-T, um, uh, check it out online. Um, they do a good job it, it, breaking stories down so that non-lawyers can understand them. What is the importance of this particular court ruling or this legislative move or this legal case? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Jurist.org is the website and it, it's it's very valuable. The, the, the operation is really run on a shoestring there. And you would not know that from looking at the output of the, of the content. What sort of questions did the, the uh, law students have for you? Well, they wanted to know about my experience. Obviously, when you cover the White House, people want to know <laughs> everywhere what's, I go. What's that, that guy like? What's, what's, it, what's it like? Yeah. Uh, is, you know, is the president uh, crazy? Is the president senile? Uh, what's it like to fly on Air Force One? Uh, you know, are, are presidents the same way off the record that they are on the record? The, you know, those sort of things. But we also got into... I, you know, some more meaty matters, you know, uh, how do you deal with, uh, you know, the nuances between uh, a background, deep background and off the record, um, you know, p particular issues uh, that, you know, may come up with, um, uh, you know, in administration officials trying to intimidate you uh, and, you know, um, you know, it's never a dull moment in a newsroom, as you know. What do people not understand 
about your job? No, there's very little glamour, especially at the White House. You're boxed into a very small area and you can have days if you're a pool reporter uh, flying on Air Force One going overseas that the days can go beyond 36 hours. It, it, it is not. And, you know, your luggage goes to the wrong hotel and you have to track it down, you know, stuff like that. So, it's it, yeah, it's not really um, uh, very glamorous. But I guess the biggest misperception is that the the White House press corps is monolithic, right? That, uh, you know, there's sort of this, um, you know, eternal antagonism or, you know, depending on your political point of view that, you know, everybody there are, they're just cheerleaders for a particular administration. So the vast majority of people seem to be very unhappy with how the media is doing the job, regardless of their political persuasion. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that, but it is not monolithic. If you look at who sits in the White House briefing room, you know, some of those news organizations are definitely to the political left, some are to the right. Then you have the more uh, uh, mainstream, uh, the wire services, um, you know, and you have foreign reporters in there as well. And uh, all different news organizations have different agendas. Some may be in sync with a particular administration at a time. Some are definitely not. So it's it's not this sort of, uh, uh, you know, mortal combat going on between, you know, all of the journalists and the White House press secretary or, or, or the president. It, it It is really something that's that's quite uh, nuanced. And that's something that I try to get into in, 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 in my book and also explaining as challenging as the uh, Trump administration was for journalists. And Trump was also very upset with not getting treated in Washington the same way that he was in New New York City, but that dissatisfaction with presidents by the media and by presidents with the media mm-hmm. actually goes all the way back to George Washington's second term. It, certainly, even with your uh, employer, VOA, I think every president at some point or another since FDR has had something to say at, at one point along the line about. Right. And that's why that the uh, firewall protections have actually been strengthened by Congress several times since the uh, smith Munt Act was put in place right after World War II, which was really intended to make sure that the government wouldn't be propagandizing to its own citizens and ensured that uh, VOA would remain purely an external um, broadcasting service. How many days a, a week or a month were you in Pittsburgh? Physically, I wasn't there very much. Uh, it uh, th- That was left up to me. Uh, but I was in uh, frequent contact, uh, you know, via, uh, you know, online doing video chats with the students there and uh, probably in communication every few days uh, with, uh, you know, somebody or another from uh, jurist. It was a wonderful experience. I'm, I'm My successor in that uh, position right now is John Decker, who is much more qualified for the position uh, than I was because not only is he a veteran White House correspondent, he's also a lawyer. Jurist.org, uh, as I think Steve mentioned, is the, the legal news service from the University of Pittsburgh Law School. W- what did you as a Cincinnati uh a native learn about Pittsburgh that maybe you surprised you. It wasn't my first time in Pittsburgh, but I definitely spent more time there than I, than I ever had uh, previously. Uh, you know, I'm very impressed uh, with uh, Pittsburgh, considering everything that uh, that the city and the community have been through over the decades. It it is really resilient. It is a, a beautiful place. Uh, as someone who you know left Cincinnati and grew up in Las Vegas and lived uh, for, for for years in spots like uh, Bangkok, Thailand, 
a little too cold for me in the winter. You know, your nightmare as a reporter is you're stuck outside on a crime scene for sure. four hours, right? And your, and pen, so, your pen ink and your pen freezes up. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So and I freeze up too. Yeah. So uh, you know that that's the only negative thing I could say about Pittsburgh is I wish it were warmer in the winter. And I won't get into sport team rivalries. No, let's at not all. let's not do I, that. I, I'm not in the right territory on this program for that. Let's not do that. Your new book is coming out next year. It's called Behind the White House Curtain, correct? And uh, when can we expect that next year? It is uh, to be published in June, uh, but I am sort of already starting a a sort of pre-publication speaking tour uh, because the book can be um, pre-ordered. Another plug there. Mm -hmm. and uh, we will definitely be donating um, um, some of the profits to a, a, a good uh, journalistic cause, such as Juris.org. There we go. Steve Herman is Chief National Correspondent for Voice of America. You can find his stories at voanews.com. You can follow him, many people do, on social media, whatever your favorite social media platform is, at W7VOA. He was journalist in residence at the University of Pittsburgh Law School with their Jurist News Service program. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us today. Thank you, Jay. Thank you all for listening today to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport. So long for now. You've been listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, copyright Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Opinions expressed on this program are not those of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Listener support makes this program possible. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our website at tubecityonline.com and click on the donate link. You can also get a free subscription to this program and other podcasts at our website using Apple's iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you've got a question or comment, we hope you'll write to us. Our address is Tube City Community Media Incorporated, P.O. Box 94, the Keysport, PA, 15134. You can email us at TubeCityTiger at gmail.com or call us at area code 412-614-9659. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at TubeCityOnline. Online.